Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Mailbag Friday edition of the Rebel Report podcast. The date is irrelevant because uh, this is the people's quarantine and every day is the same. So this uh, we've got some mailbag <laughs> questions to get to today. We've got uh, a couple of uh just random nuggets of news as we've kind of had throughout the last couple of weeks. This one uh, coming, one of these coming from Mike Leach, a problematic, I guess, kind of tweet. Uh, I don't know what I mean by, I guess, kind of. It was a problematic tweet that he deleted. Uh, we'll get into that. Uh, I li- I told you last night I was going to start the scheme, and then I actually lied, but I had a good reason for lying. Is like five minutes after I sent that message, I... Uh, I was like, I, I'm going to go start this. And then my roommates were like, we're going to start episode three of Tiger King in like an hour if you want to catch up. So I like binge through the first two 45-minute episodes, like an hour and a half. Then watch episodes, I think, three, four, and five. It may have just been three and four. And uh, what the hell? Yeah, it's um, it's something, all right? And the thing is, it gets worse. So like all the dumb and, and illegal and bad immoral things that you've seen it will get magnified in the final two episodes he's a really really shitty person and i can't believe so and i guess maybe this wouldn't have fit the documentary but um video came out a couple days ago of him like in one of the cages doing like his political commercials i think you've gotten there where he's he's run for governor have you gotten there yet yeah, I've seen this. I don't okay. know. If I, I don't think I've gotten there quite yet in the thing, but I've seen the I've seen the clip we're talking about where he's talking about how he can't say the n word. Yeah, he calls it discrimination because he's a white guy that can't say the n word, but black guys yeah. can say the n word. Um, I, I, yeah, I, he's just an overall all around shitty person, <laughs> and um, it turns from oh this guy's a piece of shit to oh this guy probably shouldn't be able to exist in society anymore. I'm not finished with it yet, obviously, because what there's like six, seven episodes, something like that. So I've got two to three seven. episodes left. But like at the point I'm at, it they like slow play you in it to where you like they let all the crazy dudes on his I call it a, a zoo, whatever, uh, start telling you how awful this lady is who seems like somewhat innocent, just a little crazy and like cats, and then she turns out to be worse. Of course, and it may just end up being they're equally as bad by the end of it. But I'm at the point where it's kind of shifted to where you get into all her stuff, and then it's like, wait a minute, this lady's infinite. Like this lady, I think is worse than Joe. What Joe Exotic? Yeah, I don't think she's worse. I think they're all just equally terrible. I mean, you've got a an obvious cult leader. Um, you haven't seen the end of uh, the Joe Exotic deal yet, and then you've got this uh, cr- clearly hypocritical like moral high horse riding person who has um, a lot of questions to answer and has not given an adequate one yet. So she's a sociopath, the way she glides, the way she talks, the really, really, really thing. Like she acts like a human sociopath. They all are, man. Every single person featured in that is a bad person. 
She and specifically though, she the lady specifically uh, what's Carol Baskin like yeah. acts like a sociopath where she just like she one hundred percent what's coming at her. It's the Billy McFarland uh maybe a certain coach that coached football in Mississippi, like that whole mannerism thing where you just believe the nonsense that you're constantly spewing. So like it's it. Yeah. I, I don't even really know what to say about that. We don't have to dig into a tiger King breakdown. Cause I feel like that is, uh, that <laughs> well, is you're not done yet. Is... wait till the end. Um, so in, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but, um, no, I can't even say this because then it'll ruin it for you. But um, once you're done, I'll uh, I'll give you another detail that if you're questioning um, what his current situation is, uh, you don't need to because he belongs there. They just didn't show you uh, everything. <laughs> it, uh, the one of the parts I ended last night was when she's or towards when I got to the end. Like this isn't exactly where I stopped, but she's like suing the pants off of him. And he's like somehow showing her by being like, "Oh, you want to take my assets? I'm gonna tape some Tannerite to <laughs> blow up my bed, and my watches and stuff." Yeah. As if that's somehow sticking it to the lady that's suing him. I that's like the thirteenth most messed up thing that's happened in this thing. Yeah, I then you got the guy in South Carolina with a bunch of wives. Like it's. It's the guy. It, it was interesting to me. The director or producer, I don't know his exact title at the beginning of it, was like, I never thought I'd spend five years of my life on this. So it seems like he kind of stumbled into this being like, oh, it's a bunch of weird people well, that collect big cats, and then like got knee deep into it and was like, how is this real life? And he has a story in and of himself. I can't believe they didn't cover it in the documentary. So that guy used to be like a high profile, high paid reporter for Inside Edition. I mean, he that was like when Bill O'Reilly hosted Inside Edition. That used to be like the show. And he was, I forget what they called him, uh, but he used to, to go to um, like extreme locations and do like special field reporting for Inside Edition. Like he was a well-known big time figure and he's obsessed with videotaping himself. And um, he was addicted to crack cocaine and wow. he would record himself every single day just for like a 10 minute monologue where he would just like talked about his day and he would record it and then save it. So he lost his job at inside edition, lost his career, lost everything, became just kind of a nobody and released a documentary about himself where it's just him. Little clips of those videos he recorded to show the progression of like his appearance and everything uh, before the addiction, during the addiction and after. So you, you can like see his body and his his mind and the things he was saying completely deteriorate in real time. He was high on crack cocaine while interviewing President George W. Bush for his show. Whoa, that yeah. is quite I mean, something. He's, he's got a story completely like that. That's how he ended up doing something like that because he used to be a big time like high profile reporter and lost it all uh, because of an addiction that he's. Um, apparently still sober from which is is good for him but yeah he's got his own deal and they didn't even touch it yeah I, I, that's one of them i've watched some like kind of messed up documentaries that's uh that's up there uh i'll just the amount of just stuff it has going on so uh for those of you that have not seen it it is uh it is not just the internet cliche that everyone's talking about it is insane uh like i yeah i don't even really know much else to say i'd like to finish it first but uh Anyway, let's get to your questions. 
And uh, I wonder if we have any Tiger King related questions. I don't think we do. Uh, most underrated. We, yeah, we had a light, light set of questions today. Un, most underrated Will Ferrell movie. I was thinking about this last night, and it's like it's like there are Will Ferrell movies, and then there's also a bunch of random movies where he just pops up in as like a side role to where you couldn't call it a Will Ferrell movie at all. But he's also got a a a, a couple of those that are uh, that are quite funny. So uh, Blades of Glory, which I think was a submission someone had under it is an all-timer for a PG-13 movie in terms of humor. That one always cracks me up. Um, difference between underrated and best. So I was trying to go through and uh, figure out like what would constitute underrated. Um, I think everybody's seen or familiar with the other guys, but I think that's one of the great comedies of all time. Um, I, I just That movie cracks me up so bad. And it's just like every scene, there's... Like you have to watch it a couple of times before you really appreciate the humor of it. It's just like layered in thick irony. I think that might be his most underrated movie because people don't think about it as one of the great comedies, but I think it is. Does old school count as both either underrated and a Will Ferrell movie? I mean, he's a main guy in it. Like that it's de- it definitely counts. counts as a Will Ferrell movie for sure. I don't know if it fits the category of underrated, but that's what I thought. But the other ones I was thinking of, and now as I, I should have written these down last night, but of course I did not. But like movies like uh like he said Wedding Crashers, but he plays uh he plays Chaz, the guy like that, yeah, that, that founded the game. That, that's no, like exactly. Game, I, yeah, no, I'm getting into the more like like uh, like non Will Ferrell movies, but he also has like three or four off the top, like that I thought of last night of just like cameo appearances in other movies that aren't Will Ferrell movies that are just like classic roles. That being one of them, I had to wonder two more last night that I just can't think of right now. Um, shoot. I, maybe come, I'll come back to that. I'll probably think of a couple more, but like there's a couple roles like that he has in movies that are, uh, they're pretty funny. Uh, how about an underrated Will Ferrell movie, Kicking and Screaming? Pass it to the Italian kids. Yeah, because I love it Dick is like, get the ball to the Italians. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, i trying to think. Yeah, is that Terry Bradshaw or Robert Duvall in there? In the kicking and screaming. Nah, Will Ferrell's dad that hates Ditka. <laughs> is that Terry Bradshaw or du- the Duvall guy? Um. I think. No, it's Robert Duvall. It's not. It's not Terry Bradshaw. How do I get those two confused a lot? I don't know why. I don't, I don't even know if they look that, that much like. Yeah, <laughs> kind of the same fucking older face. Um, yeah, the, I would say Dax uh, Home's actually a pretty good movie. I thought so too. I just didn't know if it was like old enough to be considered underrated or classic. Uh, I would agree with that. That's a good one. Didn't they make a second version of that movie? I haven't seen that one. They did, and it's not that bad either. Like, it's actually kind of funny. Interesting. So those would be my two submissions. I think I'd go with Kicking and Screaming, which is a funny movie. Both are like, like not, I guess, kid-friendly is the wrong word, but not just your typical rated R, Talladega Knight-style uh, Will Ferrell movie. So those would probably be my two submissions. Which would you take if we got an entire NCAA tournament or a partial football season with no playoff bowl games? Uh, I'd probably go entire NCAA tournament. At least you have some finality to it. Uh, to me, the answer is always football. Yeah, that's fair. But like, if you're gonna get, say, like the NFL season, you're just gonna get eight games and then no winner and no nothing. 
Yeah, that was his tough. stipulations here. That's the only reason yeah. I made the. I mean, I would always go football too for the most part. But if you're just going to get a bunch of random games and it's, he says no playoff slash bowl games, maybe he's talking about college football. So we'll just keep it college, not NFL. I think I'm going to say tournament. At least I can watch something from beginning to end. Right. It, that's how football basically used to be. <laughs> it would just. Uh, you'd play your season, and then some committee and a group of computers would pick two teams to play in one game to determine the champion. I can't believe that was our system. I understand the money involved in bowl games, but I still cannot believe until 2014 that was our system. And it used to be just newspaper would pick the national champion. Now it's, or, and then it became like just some little committee. And now at least we have a semblance of a playoff. But I, it's so hard to fathom that they thought that, that was a good idea at any point. It's still shocking to me that the second most popular sport in the United States, second only to uh, professional football, still has the most inefficient and stupid playoff system even after going to a playoff system. But to your point, the fact that it took so long to get to that. like I, and the, uh, I honestly was a little more enlightened on this after watching a which one of those pieces. So Ivan Massell has been an ESPN writer for 100 years. Uh, did the college football 100 years documentary or that whole initiative that ESPN this year celebrating 100 years of college football. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably saw some of their pieces throughout the season. But there's a documentary on it on like how the first college football game and how that got started. And like for a while, like pretty much no one saw college football becoming what it was today. And so for a long time, that's why how like how and why you had the inefficient system with the bowl games. And that used to be just every school's goal to get to a bowl game and all that, and then, like, the, the voting via newspapers and all that. Like, it made a lot more sense why you had, for a while, the more inefficient system you did. But for the last 25 years, particularly from, like, 1990 on, when fo- college football has kind of become what it is today in terms of where it ranks on the American sports palette and the amount of money it generates, not having I and mean, relying on computers and then going to a subjective four-team playoff that's not actually a playoff because there's no real qualifying system makes no sense to me. I don't understand how other leagues can get that right, but college football somehow cannot. I mean, hell, the college football's, uh, I don't even know the right word for this. What would you call like FCS, D1, D, and, uh, D2 and all that? Like whatever you call it, their subordinates even have it done better than them. How is that possible? That's um, something that Mike Leach had a really good rant about um, a couple of years ago. He, he sarcastically like, well, it's too tough to do it in college football, but they figured it out in high school and they like did his little Mike Leach thing. And he went from, he went to like peewee and then middle school and high school and division three and division two and division one in the NFL. And he was like, huh, it's not too tough for them. It, you know, just one of his deals, but it doesn't make any sense. And you 16 teams for you to do that at the division one level, you would probably have to eliminate a game because then you get into the player safety conversation. And although one additional game for 19, 20, 21 year olds probably isn't that bad. You would still get into that conversation. Uh, so you would have to you take the game the word away. Bowl on it and offered some kind of money and like TVs to the kids when they got there, they wouldn't be as worried about player safety. Exactly. It's 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 all just a complete farce. But it, to do it right and to feel good about it, it, it's simple. It is eight an eighteen playoff, and because it has to be this way, your five Power Five champions, one 
group of five highest ranked team, two at larges, and at least you have a real playoff. Because even right now, like we don't need to expand from four because, and I agree with this, it's probably accurate. I don't think by expanding the playoff, you would have changed the outcome in any of the first six years of the playoff. I think the same team would have won the playoff. But since you don't know for sure, you can't say for sure. And also, it's still like, why are you arguing against more meaningful football? It's like the same people that love the NCAA tournament hate the idea of, a, of an expanded football playoff. You could literally cut every NCAA tournament field in half, all of them, and never eliminate a champion. And I think only eliminate like three Final Four appearances. You cut the fields in half and never eliminate a champion. So why do we need 68 teams there? Yeah, I just – I don't – but like that – and that you got that argument this year because LSU blew out Oklahoma and all the people that don't want to expand past four playoff teams were just kind of like, do you really want more of this? It's like it's not going to be that way every year. I saw the uh, – some guy at Banner Society a while back had a decent – like as if you can be our, uh, profound in a tweet – but after the Titans beat, I think it was either the Pats or the Ravens the next week, it says the Titans are a great story, but what would be really good is if the NFL just had a four-team playoff that didn't include them because, look, there are only two or three elite teams. <laughs> I mean, that sums it up pretty well. I get professional football is different. But, yeah, like assuming that more playoff games is automatically going to equate to a crappy game like LSU versus Oklahoma is probably just not true because – and I'm I'm literally just blanking. Who were the fifth and sixth teams this year that didn't get in the playoff? Oh, uh, I do not remember. Let's see. I'm about to see. Shows how short our memory is. Oh, just because they they told us it didn't matter. You know, I mean, it just it doesn't matter. I'm looking it up right now just to finish my point. Oregon and Georgia. You're telling me Georgia and Oregon wouldn't have given LSU. I'm not. I know the seating wouldn't work this way, but if you just expanded it, Baylor and Wisconsin. This is probably not the greatest year to make this argument, but Georgia and Oregon wouldn't have given a better game, LSU, a better game than what Oklahoma did. Like, not every game is going to be like that. Is my point. I just don't understand why college football doesn't have uh, an actual and like legitimate playoff system. But whatever. The entire. I mean, it is on brand. Like the entire sport, from the playing field to uh, officiating and all of that is just kind of a, a farce. Uh, let's see. Um, what was it? Oh, yeah. So that was an interesting uh, tailspin off of a pretty good question in terms of would you rather take the NCAA basketball tournament or a partial football season? I'm taking the part in mean, the NCAA basketball tournament just because partial football season would just leave me feeling empty. And uh, at this point, like if I'm going to watch some kind of sporting event, I would like to be there some kind of champion at the end. I want to see the confetti people getting drunk uh, in the locker rooms. Like in sports come back, that I would like to be that the uh, the final of whatever it is. Like I don't need the NBA playoffs coming back and then someone getting corona or something like that and them stopping again. Like don't tease me. <laughs> oh man. Um... Favorite beers, top three. Hmm. <laughs> You can go domestics and I, and uh, domestic and craft is the two he would like to split it up in. Uh, mm, domestic? I don't know. I drink a bunch of Coors Lights. I guess that would have to be in there. Um, <laughs> uh, yingling for me. 
would I be like my Gingley. first. That's word. another good one. Um, is Dosecki's a domestic? It probably should be counted for one if it's not. There's three there. Kraft is easier. I like the uh, Richard actually turned me on to uh, the Tiny Bomb, which is a I can't remember the name of the brewing company. I'm pretty sure it's out of yeah. Is uh, really really good. I get those a lot. Uh, there was a beer at a uh, place called Mad Tree in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a brewery I live next to, called the Psychopathy, which is an IPA that's probably the best beer I've ever had. I tried to stock up on it before I came back because you can't ship beer into Mississippi. Uh, that's definitely up there. Can you still not? Or, or... Uh, I don't believe you still can. I don't believe that's changed. I guess I could try again. I did remember uh, uh, seeing that I could ship it into Memphis, but I just didn't fight going through the trouble. And uh, so that's up there. And then my third one, I like the Abita Strawberry. I mean, I'm not usually a, a big like fruit beer guy. Beer. Yeah, it doesn't taste like fruit though. Like it's a, it is a fantastic beer. And then the, uh, you can't get these in bottles. You can only get them in like these weird like wine bottle looking things. But the straw, uh, the strawberry mixed with the Andy Gator called Straw Gator straw is up Gator. there as well. Yeah. So I gave you four. That's uh, that's definitely my top four. I actually feel pretty confident about that. Yeah, I'll do um, I'll do Mississippi ones. So the Lazy Magnolia Southern Pecan. Um, I think that's just a good, solid beer uh, for any occasion. Um, that's brewed in uh, in Kiln, right? Down there kind of by the coast. Yeah, that is a good one. I uh, And one that kind of tastes similar to that is the Sweetwater, but the yellow label. Not, I think it's the four, is it? Yeah, the 420. That's right, yep. Um, and then from Southern Prohibition, the Susie B, it's just a blonde, so it's a, it's not as much uh, of your, your craft that people love, but still, that's just a really good beer too. And it's brewed right here in Mississippi. Their crowd control, if you want something heavy, not heavy, but, uh, with a little bite to it, uh, is also really good from there. And then the Yalabusha Blues Trail. So there are three Mississippi beers for you. There you go, going local. We had a back when I was doing this podcast with Colin. We, you and I, were trying to think of ideas for an additional podcast, and we were going to do like having a one beer a week. We may need to start that anyway on this show uh, because Especially what is more now. original than two young white dudes talking about craft beer? But uh, it, would, it would be, it would actually, I think, be interesting. Uh, particularly, have nothing else to do. And if I could go into Cash Saver, which the Cash Saver up here actually has a ridiculously good beer selection and it's all cheap despite the double tax uh i would be down for that weekly segment just trying new beers because uh i mean what else are we going to do as we say often on the text line and people suggest stuff all you got is time uh so i might workshop that into next week why the hell not uh it's 6 30 or 7 o'clock in the morning at this point probably not whipping one out of the fridge uh at this hour but uh we'll work on that for a later date but uh, those were three pretty solid options on both sides there. Borky went all local, uh, too. Let's see. Hmm. I didn't name any of the ones I had in Arkansas. The Arkansas slash Little Rock craft beer scene uh, when I lived there for a summer was actually way uh, bigger than I thought. I actually had to cover Well, it's two- good everywhere, man. It's just the problem is it's not good here. Like, the entire yeah. Jackson metro area does not have a single – Local brewery. Now that Lucky Town closed, there's one. I think it's called Colson's. That they're like they're working on like getting a brick and mortar. I think, um, but they outsource the brewing of their beer outside of Jackson, 
as far as I understand it. There, you cannot go to a brewery here in this entire metro area. Like everywhere else in America you go, you've got like five or six of them. We only have one here. That's interesting. When I was in Little Rock, I had to cover like two or three of the beer festivals, and I had to follow around this guy named John the Beer Snob who made an entire career uh, out of just being the beer guru in Arkansas. I had this big, gigantic uh, blog and newsletter that I, I actually still get every week. But uh, they had a gigantic craft beer scene. Cincinnati was the same way. It just Yeah, it kind of does stink here. I guess I never knew it was none the wiser because like that, it, that was all I'd ever really known was like Jackson and I mean, let's be honest, I'm not drinking, like, beer, much less craft beer, like, you know, in junior <laughs> high school. I guess I just didn't know much different, uh, having not been outside of Mississippi that much as a uh, beer-drinking adult. But anyway, uh, take a break real quick, remind you, the podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. One thing, uh, if the craft se- beer scene here is not great, uh, what is great is the local meat scene, LB's University Avenue. Uh, go see Greg, best place in Mississippi to get meat. Uh, if you're trying to quarantine in peace, go uh, stop by LB's. He can help you throw something on the grill where you can chill out and relax and uh, maybe forget all of this is going on. Uh, the Lane Train Special, Keith Carter Special, uh, eight and six ounce bacon wrap filet still going on. Had that the other weekend with some uh, crab stuff, mushrooms. Uh, if you're looking to kind of feed the family, he's got a lot of ready uh, made type things like meatloaf and things like ground beef based things that you can just take and uh, heat up without too much trouble and feed you, feed the entire family. It's a bunch of food, but Greg's got it going on over there. Local businesses need you now more than ever. Go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. Appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. Let's get to the back half of these questions. Top five or top 10 sporting venues, golf courses can be included. Good question here. Uh, I'm just probably going to take the, uh, the, the railing off here and we won't have to go five or 10, but I guess we can just start spitballing sporting venues. Uh, Rose bowl, uh, Augusta, Augusta national. Yeah, those top- are two obvious ones. Yeah. If you're going to get the, like the, the typical golf courses out of the way, not to breeze by them, but the obvious ones are like, Pebble, Torrey Pines, uh, Pinehurst. Um, let's see. I mean, if you're talking about venues where they actually hold tournaments and stuff like that, like top golf courses in the world is a, or in the U.S. is a totally different argument just because some of the nicest ones would never hold tour events uh, just based on spacing, infrastructure, things like that. Rose Bowl, mm, I mean, can, wherever they play Army-Navy count, like, that's always a spectacle. Yeah, I mean, they usually do it in Philly or Baltimore, right? Um, best just venues. I, it, is it, like, where the the best setting for a particular game or just, like, the nicest venue? Because those are two different conversations. Like, the Rose, the setting of the Rose Bowl is stunning, but the stadium is, is old and um, apparently kind of dated. And Both can be in there. It can be a nice venue because of the stadium's nice, or it can be a cool venue because it's just historic, like the Rose Bowl. Like we can, we you can both both will qualify there. But it's probably the best, just like stadium venue in college football is probably in College Station. I would ag- agree in some ways, but disagree in others. If you're talking to me, like I. I'd, like if you're making me pick an SEC West place to watch a game, I swear, and this sounds blasphemous, something about Bryant Denny is just 
mesmerizing to me. And yes, Death Valley has the mystique and all of that, and maybe because the games I've covered down there haven't been that great or close, I like Death Valley at night. I think it's cool. But something about Bryant-Denny, the way that stadium's set up and it's like perfectly circular all the way around, like it is huge, it is loud, like the field is perfect, the uh, press box it was- is up. Is that an interesting level? Like, I just something about that place to me, if you're talking about just intimidating and enjoyable in terms of covering it, like that to me tops the list even more so than the noise in Death Valley. And I know that's blasphemous, but I just like it. I don't know why. Well, it's because it's it looks like it was built with the future in mind. Like, all of their expansions, everything is symmetrical. Like, even if you look at Tiger Stadium, it looks like it, there was a build and then another build and another one and another one. And it looks like they were. It's not symmetrical, you know. It's it's very Louisiana. Bryant Denny is is perfectly symmetrical and just so well done and almost fake looking because it's they built and expanded that stadium with foresight. Unlike the people at Ole Miss who continue to just put lipstick on a pig. That stadium was not originally built that way, but it looks like it because everything it fits and matches and it's like a nice puzzle piece that you stick in and it fits perfectly so i I feel you i get what you're saying here with that yeah i I just don't know what it is about it and then uh what i was originally going to before i just got completely off track there is you were talking about college station i find that place cool but like it's like almost like going to a Euro- like, and I've never been to a European soccer game, but just listening on TV from like the crowds and the noise, it feels more like that than it does an intimidating football environment. And maybe it's just because they're not good, but like they do the strange yells. Like the stadium just goes really high up and kind of f- far away from you. I don't dislike it at all. It's just like I'm I'm probably not putting it quite in the same tier as uh, as LSU and Alabama. But like if I had been if I had been covering football for Ole Miss, like say in 14 when they went and they blew them out and like there were so many people there, uh, that was actually while they were doing the stadium expansion, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'd have a different attitude of it, but it's definitely up there. Kyle Field is cool. I just, it's probably a lesser a tier behind, in my opinion. Uh, if you're just getting Even into though the it's stadiums. New? Yeah, I'm just talking about like the, the niceness and all that stuff. It is nice, but to tell you the truth, I didn't actually see much of the stadium and like what makes it nice and what not nice. I just kind of went up this elevator in the side room because that press box is so high up. Like you just kind of go to this separate thing and go up. It's almost like riding a uh, some sort of uh, amusement park ride uh, <laughs> type of thing, and it shakes during the game, which is not my favorite thing on earth. But yeah, it's nice. I I, I like it. That um, seems less than ideal. I'm sure they had great engineers that made sure that that's not a problem but still man if i was that high i wouldn't be comfortable shaking isn't that kind of their thing aren't they ag school engineering yeah i guess but still like i'd rather just not shake like don't let's be solid here and all they warn you is with the note like next to like when you get in your seat it's just a note like amongst all of your uh, game notes and all those other things that they put in front of you that you're either some, I mean, I'll look at them, but like not the whole stack. It's just like, oh, by the way, don't freak out when this thing starts shaking while you're standing for the national anthem. It's just like um, maybe like have a little announcement going or something a little more than that because the first time that happened, I was like, oh, my God, what is happening here? I thought Is we that all it down. says? Just like don't be alarmed, it shakes? Yes, that's literally all it says. It's written on a piece of paper. <laughs> that's you know, it. it would be it's, nice if they would add in like, it is engineered to do that. So you feel a little bit more comfortable. Like, oh, okay, like maybe it's like a suspension bridge, you know? Like those shake. I don't know if you've ever been on one. 
it's kind of eerie because you could be like way above the ground. Like if you fell, you're probably dead and the bridge is shaking. But since it's suspended by cables, you know, it, it's fine. They should probably yeah. add that in there. Like, hey, it is designed to do this. It's fine. Not, oh, it shakes. So get over it. <laughs> yeah, like give me some nerd talk. Explain to me on the piece of paper how it's structurally sound, even if I don't know what it means. I just want to be reassured despite not knowing what any of the words mean. So in hindsight, I'm looking at Kyle Field, the, the new one still doesn't really make sense. Like the old one was really, I mean, just like pieces just put together and it didn't make any sense. The new one still kind of looks like that. It's like and they the didn't really know what they wanted. The press box is on the other side of the field now, too, where the logo is upside down. Like you're looking at it from like reverse from where the original design was. Like they switched the sides of the field. So like the logo and everything else is backwards. Uh which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, that's a good one. Honestly, an underrated one is Alex Box on like a nice SEC Friday night. Something about that place just kind of has a little mystique to it. It's interesting. I know Richard's a big fan of the old Alex Box, and that became a running joke on the show. But the new one is uh, is pretty cool. And uh, I would put Bomb up there uh, in Arkansas as well as a pretty cool place. I'm not sliding Duty Noble. I just have not been to Duty Noble ever. I guess I'll go this year for nope. <laughs> Look what I just did. Look what I. How, how is that possible? How in the current like just like just sadness we're all living in? How did I mistake it for? I guess I'll go this year. No, I will be, not be going this year. Excuse me. Um, anyway, I was not sliding Duty Noble. I just haven't been to it. Um, so that's up there. Uh, NFL stadiums, what are the, like, I know Hard Rock Stadium in Miami is super nice. Um, I've been to NRG, the Texan stadium. That place is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry World. Honestly, the dome is not, like, that nice, but when it's loud, like, in terms of spectacle, that that place is pretty sick. Man, it, it's the loudest stadium I've ever been in. And it, the, the game I was at last year was Tampa at noon. Yeah, the uh, it's the like fans the, that that make that. I think it's probably all. I've been to a few other NFL games, and it was kind of this way. Like I went to a Panthers game when they weren't good, and uh, so it wasn't like that. But everybody in the stadium that day, there was not a single person like what you get all the time at college games that was either down in front or like too cool to get into it. Every single person in that stadium, like their life depended on the outcome of that game, and so. Yes, it was in a dome, which absolutely helps. And 75,000 people in a dome are going to be louder than 100,000 people in an open-air stadium. Wait, just physics behind that, I'm sure, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it was the people. Every, that's why Oregon is so loud, despite only being, what, 55,000 people. Because every single person there, it's like, the outcome of this game affects my life in some way. Whereas, like at Ole Miss, for example... You can sit in an entire section and everybody around you, like on a big third down, is just standing there. Like they're too cool for it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like the atmosphere is a big part of it, which I agree. The two Saints games I've been to is kind of the same way, though. I was both one really, uh, one, I was really young. Uh, and they were playing like the Bucks, and neither team was good. And then the second one I went to was uh, the year Michael Vick went to jail, and it was Bobby Petrino who lasted less than a full season. Uh, I actually tried to get Bobby Petrino's autograph at the team uh, hotel. Uh, that So I was staying with a, guy, a buddy of mine whose dad used to work for the Falcons, so we kind of got like hooked up and we got to go on the field before the game. 
But I was trying to get Petrino's autograph because he just left Louisville the first time, and my grandfather was a gigantic Louisville football fan. So he was like the man there despite leaving. And uh, I was the only one standing in this lobby, and he shirked me and was like, I'll get you later, man, and just walked up to his hotel room. Uh, so uh, all around bad guy no, Bobby Petrino. He left but, a uh, note the player's locker, right? Isn't that how he left? Yes, uh, he just kind of was like, or he, he, I believe he wrote a note to either Blank or whoever the GM was at the time, Arthur Blank or the GM at the time as well. There's also some rumors about when he got hired, uh, the one of the uh, Blank throwing him a pretty nice like cocktail party and him no showing his own uh, welcome party. I don't know if that's true, but uh, don't really feel bad either way. Uh, but anyway, anyway, it was post Michael Vick here, so and the Saints weren't good either. But uh, that place was still really loud, and it was still a hell of an environment. And both of those teams sucked, and it was late in the season. So definitely put the the Superdome up there as well. I guess NFL-wise, like you got Arrowhead, which is kind of like one of the final, like the last classic fields left. Yeah. Lambeau, obviously. So those are probably some good ones. I'm sure we left those out. That might be a good topic for next week. It's just like coolest stadium you've ever been to, or stadiums. So uh we might get into that on Monday. That's uh, probably probably a good idea. Uh, last real one we had was well, this guy's not even uh, not even asking a question. He's just making a statement. Uh, Tiger, LeBron, Mickelson all losing a year at the end of their careers. Well, I think Tiger has the best chance to win more. It affects LeBron and Phil. Most be good to hear you and Borky on that. That's actually a really good point. Although I wouldn't describe Phil Mickelson as at his prime. He's actually seems to be on the way out of it he's really struggling uh you know he's gonna have to if there were a u.s open this year or whenever it happens he's gonna have to find a way to qualify because he's not exempt anymore he's not top 60 in the world he turned down a special exemption saying he wants to get that on his own phil's on the back end and i would say actually like probably out of his prime but uh for tiger and lebron this does suck because uh you know particularly the lebron james case i think we take lebron james for granted in a lot of ways and uh that's why I hope the NBA comes back so we can just kind of see him again year 17, whatever it is, 16, weird break in between, and he still just dominates. Yeah, it, but, man, it, at some point, age is going to catch up to him. Maybe not this year, but I wonder what the, the second break will actually do for him. And they were playing well, too. I mean, what if it stops their momentum and um, if we even get uh, a playoffs uh, it's He's just, been telling people this break is not good for him on podcasts and stuff. I don't know if you've seen that. But he's like, everyone's saying this break is, that, is good for Is him. that real, or is he setting up an excuse just in case they well, lose in the first round? I, I mean, everything with LeBron James is calculated. I actually heard a really good segment between Bill Simmons and Cowherd on Cowherd's show the other day about why Jordan is more popular. They weren't knocking LeBron, but one of the things like that is like, LeBron is kind of calculated in a lot of things that he does, but he, it, it, I listened to the podcast clip. It doesn't make sense. It's like his body. He like, he has this whole routine about how he gets ready for the grind of an 82 game season. I think particularly this year, he knew in order for them to get decent playoff sitting, he was actually going to have to play every night. It's not like he could coast in the Eastern conference with Cleveland, pick his spots, even pick his spots in the playoffs to where like, you know, they go seven games with the bad Indiana team in the first round. And then game seven, he's like, all right, enough of this shit. But like he like having getting in the midst of all that, having all that, and then just stopping like he's basically saying his body doesn't under, doesn't really understand what to do with it, which uh, honestly makes a lot of sense. Like the logic behind it, just stopping and starting his body at that age made sense. I was uh, I left that thinking, okay, that uh, 
that that the that logic holds up at least in my mind. Yeah, uh, for sure. So that is it. But so, and then on the other end of that, the the last part of it where he had Tiger to me, like, and Tiger said this in that long right or he told people, and it was in that long right Thompson piece before even Tiger made this last comeback. It's like if I do come back, everything is gravy from here. Uh, and let alone the fact that he won another major. So, yeah, you're losing like a year-ish of Tiger maybe if uh, worst-case scenario here if we don't get these majors in. But like to me, that doesn't bother me as much because you've already seen the comeback story complete. Like whatever's left in Tiger's career to me, if he, ha- if he has another moment, is all just a bonus. To me, that incredible comeback story is already written and sealed and everything else is just kind of details, in my opinion. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I just, I'm starting to, and this is so lame, but I'm starting to kind of feel, feel silly talking about stuff like that as if, you know, basketball is going to come back because we, we don't know, man, but I guess there's nothing else you can do. Right. I mean, what, what can we do and just sit here and cry all day or, or talk about something that may never come back. I don't know, but I'm starting to feel kind of silly. Like, you know, man, if when the season comes back, I mean, New Orleans could really pass, um, Past Memphis, and they're a younger team, and and will that youth be able to help them with this break and beat the Lakers? It's like, well, shit, what if they never get the chance? Right. I get what you're saying on that, too, because I do get discouraged some days thinking it's not. But to some degree, just from a general sports perspective, this is temporary. We're going to have sports again. I mean, Pittsburgh, hail to Pitt, uh, has a vaccine. They're ready to to test on humans. It'll be months before it, it could be used, but still, that means we are going to have normalcy again. Just, yeah, exactly. We don't so know like what. General sports perspective, this is going to go away eventually. I'm not the guy saying don't worry about football or NFL's coming or NHL's coming back and NBA's coming back. I'm not saying that. Just eventually this is going to end. So just from a sports perspective, I'm just looking forward to that day. Um, but I, I, to, to, to this guy's point, because it's an interesting one, like – if this does claim the season, the NBA season uh, in particular, we'll zero in on that because golf has more flexibility and like you can play longer and like Tigers. Yeah, not, there was like, a Golf Week article that came out yesterday. I wanted to bring it up. We just ran out of time that said that the PGA Tour um, is waiting on the Open Championship to formally make their decision. And they've got a schedule they've been working on that they're ready to release. And that includes a November, first week of November or second weekend. Uh, masters that would be awesome so like they are ready to go with their their new schedule that would have i think it was uh the pga championship in september and the masters in november and they're still waiting on the u.s open they think they're gonna have to postpone it but they're still holding out hope and if they do have to uh, that would be in october but not where it currently is because i think it's outside of new york right or am I screwing up? Uh, U.S. Open? Yeah. Where is it this year? Is it winged foot? I believe it's winged foot. But hold that thought for a second because that is interesting. But to underscore what you like, uh, my point there is like football, it seems like with golf, you have time, right? Like they're going to try to figure out a way to get these in. And that's an interesting thing we can segue to in a second. But just a last thought on what this guy's saying. If we lose this NBA season, we lose even without Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson ever playing a game this season. We we're going to lose one of the most fascinating NBA seasons to date because 
you have Giannis's free agency looming and like them needing to at least get to the finals for them to feel good about that. You have this weird Clippers Kawhi team, and then you have LeBron and AD in year 17 to where LeBron has a better shot than anything than just about anyone, maybe Clippers included to win a fourth championship, which would drastically alter his, uh, his legacy long-term. Like if we lose that out of those three, I'm not even really including Phil at this point, like between that and tiger, that to me is the most damaging. That would really suck. If we lose that year of the NBA, just how everything plays out. Does LeBron lose to Kawhi? Like, does LeBron lose to Giannis? Is there some sort of changing of the guard? Or does he remind everyone in year 17, like, I'm still the greatest player to ever live or greatest player in the NBA? You get what I'm saying? It would just really stink if we lost that. Yes, it would. I'm just I'm holding out hope that they won't. It's It sounds like the players and, and all the stakeholders, I haven't seen one objection to the central location idea. Um, and again, maybe it's a little far-fetched and there's a lot of – um, variables that go into that. But, man, it just now turned April. So if they can get to the end of June, they could do it and finish the season. So there's a lot of things that can happen between now and then, knock on wood, hopefully, that can change our circumstances. So to just definitively say that's not possible, I think it's a little silly because there are very smart people working on this, and our circumstances could change between now and then. It sounds like everybody's on board with that idea. Now, one guy testing positive or one trainer testing positive ruins the entire thing, but I have not seen one actual stakeholder in this. Not like some media person that wants to be miserable, but like a player or a coach, and they're doing their rounds on uh, like the ESPN car wash, and they're doing their own podcast, and they're all Twitch streaming now, and every single player that's talked about it wants it to happen. So if you've got everybody involved wanting it to happen, it's more likely to. I would agree with that wholeheartedly, and I'm on board. I don't crap on the idea unless you have a solution as well. Like that's kind of my rule of thumb there. But I hope I agree. I hope it's coming back. And then the point you brought up about golf is potentially you could have a ridiculous uh, fall golf schedule if they do try to cram all four majors, three of the four, what have you, into the season, into the end of this year. You could have a pretty insane sports calendar this fall, just in general. Just with the NBA running through maybe August or September, college football, NFL football, hopefully starting somewhat close to on time, and then having maybe like a fall Masters or a fall U.S. Open or something like that. I don't think like the odds of them getting all four majors in, I guess, at this point, not very good, but at least having a couple of fall majors and uh, or golf majors in the fall, plus a potential Ryder Cup would be a, would be a pretty nutty, nutty sports schedule and a hell of a... Uh, hell of an appetite in terms of like just like a plate of sports you're getting in a short amount of time after this terribleness over the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, that would be just incredible, man. I mean, imagine, well, you being up in a press box somewhere, but uh, for me, since the only day of the week I don't work is Saturday, um, on one TV, a college football game, and on the other, uh, Saturday at Augusta, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would uh, yeah, that would be hard to imagine just being able to flip back and forth from football, and then the next day having a slate of NFL games, having red zone on one TV and the final round at Augusta on the other. Uh, so if you need something to get you through, that's a uh, that is certainly a potential. You could have red zone your fantasy team up and be watching the Masters 
uh, on Sunday. That would be pretty nuts. Uh, anyway, the last thing we'll get to today before we get out of here, uh, hits close to home in Mississippi. I think we still have some state listeners. I don't really know. But uh, Mike Leach, problematic tweet. I didn't actually – I didn't. it's like one of these things. I didn't actually see the story until after it happened. I didn't see Leach's tweet. I did see his apology, and I was like – like that was the first exposure I had to this story. And I was like, what did he do? What happened here? And uh, so I'm going to butcher this. Why don't you just take it away? I don't know. What did, what did he do? He tweeted uh, a picture. And I, to tell you the truth, uh, I don't know who the, the old woman is. I probably should, but I don't. Uh, she is knitting, and the caption is, after two weeks of quarantine with her husband, Gertrude decided to knit him a scarf. And uh, what she's knitting is a noose, and the picture is in black and white. And that's what Mike Leach tweeted yesterday. Yeah, you just... You can't do new stuff in Mississippi. And, like, this would be, like we talked about on radio yesterday, this would be, well, yes, probably not the wisest thing to do, a bit more of a nothing burger in terms of a story and just self-righteous manufactured outrage that you get from the Internet these days that we've seemingly kind of gone numb to and as a society have, or sports world have done a better job of spotting and just calling uh, as BS. But this was a little different in the sense that he had a handful of, of uh, current players, if I'm not mistaken, tweet and reply to the tweet and take exception to it. Is that yeah, that, three of as them. I understand um, it. And uh, you know, hey, dogs, no. Um, you have to like interpret emojis nowadays. But Errol Thompson tweeted the uh, the thinking emoji. I think it was. Um, oh gosh, was it Nathan Pickering? No. Uh, who's the uh, Fab Lovett, uh, the other high profile defensive lineman they signed? Um, I think he said, man, WTF, and Kobe Jones replied and said facts. And so, yeah, I mean, even though you kind of have to interpret kid language uh, anymore, they were clearly displeased uh, with the imagery that their coach tweeted. And that's what changes this. I mean, I've seen a lot of people, and even myself included, when like when I look at that image, and you know Mike Leach did not intend – there was no racist intent behind it. The image in and of itself is not that of a racist image. Like that, that is, that is all true. Uh, he had, I, I believe him when he said he had no intention of offending anybody because to tell you the truth, it's kind of funny when you think about it, like all oh, this woman hates her husband so bad. She needs to find it. It's kind of morbid, but you know, like people are making the, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I married this person now that I'm stuck with them every day. I need to get out kind of jokes. Like it's just one of those. However, when a group of his African American football players who have been haunted by imagery like that, even today, if you if you want to argue that, I'm not going to waste my time because they still are. They they absolutely are. It's undeniable. Once they start raising questions about it, it's better to just do what Leach did, take it down, apologize, probably talk to all of them individually, explain why he did it, and, and have a good conversation about uh, that kind of image, and everybody moves on. I think the media reaction to it is always overblown, but that's what you can expect right now on April 2nd when there are no sports for them to cover they're going to pull up the outrage machine and just rip on Mike Leach for an image that 
on the surface is very, very harmless, but you can also understand why players took exception to it. There's no such thing as nuance anymore. It's Mike Leach is a terrible person. This is why he doesn't get a bigger job. And I think one guy said, oh, what a great day for Lane Kiffin. Like, give me a break, dude. This is not that big of a deal. Probably shouldn't have done it, but it's not that bad. I mean, I just I don't know why there's no such thing as nuance anymore. Yeah, just to, to me that if you if you take out the it's not a story hardly at all if you take out the players, but the, his own players being upset with the tweet it definitely makes it substantive. My thing is though, yep. it's interesting, and I like Leach is the fact that is like this is not Pullman, Washington anymore. And so if you're particularly we haven't even had games yet, but if this stuff continues to happen and you're not winning on the level like. Two, three, I'm not even talking about immediately. Just two, three, four years down the road. Whatever happens, I don't know. He may win 10 games a year for the next four years and, and none of this ever matter. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, if you get to, like, if you're, if you slip below expectations for a year or two or something like that and this is happening on your Twitter account offer, like, like, it's just not going to help things. People are going to grow very weary of that much quicker, I think. And, like, I feel like at a college football kind of outpost like Pullman, Washington, it's easier to get away or to kind of uh, stay under the radar doing stuff like this and, you know, tweeting conspiracy theories and stuff like he oh, has man, in the past. He, he lost to Washington like six years in a row, yeah. seven years in a row. <laughs> that <laughs> shit doesn't fly here. It's, Hell no, it won't, particularly if you're tweeting out stuff like this, like, you know, during game week and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it's almost yeah. like a, it's almost like, it, I mean, not, like, I'm not comparing him to the president, but in some ways to where, like, it's like other people, like, around him probably want to take his Twitter account, but he's just not having any of it. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. I mean, this is the second time already that he's had to delete tweets uh, since he's been at Mississippi State. I mean, the last time was, what was it, like 2 a.m. He started going after Mitt Romney, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's I just can't thing. imagine exactly talking right, about this seven years ago. Uh, seriously. But but you're exactly right. I, I mean, I think it's even as early as, like, he, he doesn't have capital for a few years. Let's pretend they go to NC State and lose in week two, if that even happens. This summer, we the, the story from The Athletic came out about former players and how the, the meetings went. And they basically didn't talk about football. It was, hey, that guy versus that guy fights to the death. Who wins? And they would spend hours, and the players are quoted in this story. We three hours would go by, and we would look at each other and like hold up our notebooks, and we have nothing written down because they just they didn't do any football. And everybody this summer was like, "Oh man, that's so funny! Like, what a weird guy! Like that that's great! Oh, Mike Leach, Mike Leach, go lose to NC State in week two. Every Mississippi State fan that would text our show, and maybe by then we'll be taking callers too. Well, you know, he should have been. He should, instead of talking about fighting to the death in team meetings, he should have been coaching football. Maybe we wouldn't have lost today. And then it's over already. Particularly at a blue-collar school like Mississippi State to where fair, unfair, not like like whatever you want to call it, kind of has a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. You know, you got to be a little different to win at Mississippi State. Like, you know, very they, they take football and sports and all that very seriously. Not that other places don't i'm just saying like particularly in a place like that it just doesn't fly yeah yeah i mean it's not even really state it's just kind of the south it's sec football uh but yeah like it's it's that'll be an interesting uh interesting dynamic to monitor there but all in all i don't think this would have made even that much news if you'd have a normal world right now and we had sports and other things going on but 
Uh, alas, we don't. And it did. I think uh, I think that was about all we had today. Light Mailbag Friday. Uh, we're going into another Groundhog weekend. The reason we were recording early is I'm going to get one last uh, round of golf in with a buddy of mine before this uh, shelter place kicks in at 5 o'clock. Which, working- you know, I, it still doesn't make sense that uh, yesterday, dude, in California, a guy was arrested for paddleboarding. It's like you cannot be more socially isolated than on a little board out in the ocean. What are you arresting this guy for? He is as socially isolated as you could possibly be. He's not touching literally anything. He is on a board out in the water. Like if you're taking that away from us, then you're you're out of your mind. You can't take that from people. Like. I saw, God, where was it? What city was it? Well, anyway, in one of the big city parks, they're not letting people, like, go jogging through the park anymore. Yeah, my thing is, though, I I don't necessarily blame people for, like, I don't necessarily blame the government for taking these measures because you have a few idiots that don't, as we talked about with it's anything in life or society or whatever, you just have a few idiots who don't who don't do right and do things responsibly. And so the other people can't have nice things. But as far as golf, like leaving the, uh, like, you know, shutting down the uh, clubhouse pro shop, whatever, and just allowing people to walk it, maybe having an honor box, something like that. You can socially distance and play golf. But I, I also understand why it has to happen because you have idiots that would take advantage of it and not do things responsibly. Like the people so, that were hanging out up river, uh, last weekend. Yeah. It's just like, what are you doing? Just don't do it. I mean, the thing is, like, if they were just on their boats, like, just out in the middle of the lake, they wouldn't have been bothered at all. Like, nobody would have bothered them. But instead, yeah, they had to what, go park up river and, and be in a group. Like, I just, anyway. What sucks about this whole thing, too, is just, like, if, like, honestly, even without sports and stuff, if I could just go each weekend and play golf somewhere once or twice a weekend, uh, this quarantine wouldn't be half as bad. If I could get outside for five or six hours at a time, uh, you know, just play golf, chill out for a month or two until everything gets back to normal. But like now you can't even do stuff like that. Really, all I can do is like walk outside to walk and run. So anyway, uh, hope everyone makes it through this weekend uh, safe and hope you have at least a remotely entertaining weekend um, to some degree. Uh, but stay safe out there. Borky and I will be back at it on Monday. Uh, we might go with the uh, best sporting venues or sporting stadiums in the world. I kind of like that. Maybe have a guest. I'm not sure. We'll have something entertaining for you. But remind you one more time. We can go to the, the op- worst. Yeah, we that would actually might be more interesting as the worst uh, places you've been. That's a good idea. We'll do both. Why the hell not? That's your homework for the weekend. Best and worst sporting venues you've ever been to. We'll talk about that on Monday. Remind you one more time to go by LBs if you're in Oxford, Oxford area, University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. He can help you out if you want to throw something on the grill this weekend and social distance uh, with your family or if you have a family to feed and you want something easy and don't want to go pick up takeout or something like that. He's got a lot of ready-made dishes, but steaks, custom cuts, sausages. The ribeye sausage is one of the finer things in life. But go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg is the man. Local business needs your support at this time. I'm probably going to go see him. Uh, so I'll have something to do Saturday afternoon. But anyway, go see him. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Borky and I will be on the radio this afternoon. We'll be back at it on Monday. But for now, everyone have a safe and hopefully somewhat eventful weekend. A 
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.